Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, we have on Ben Perrin, who is better known as BTC Sessions. That is BTC Sessions. And he runs a wonderful YouTube channel that covers so much educational content on Bitcoin, it's astonishing. So if you need any tutorials on literally any subject, setting up a wallet, a hardware wallet, how to back up your hardware wallet. Do you want to set up a node? Why would you want to set up a node? Do you want to take the next step and set up a lightning node? Or do you want to set up a lightning channel? Why would you do that? How would you do that? What's the software involved? He covers it all. So if you're just beginning or if you're getting advanced in this space, he covers all of it. We're thrilled to be able to share his information with you on this particular podcast. And I thought the focus was all going to be about the lightning network because he recently did a great YouTube video about the Lightning Network and said how to set up your own channels, your own node, the whole bit. And we do cover some of that because Bitcoin went through a little bit of mayhem, depending on when you're listening to this a few weeks ago, but I'll say mid-May to end of May, kind of the later half of May, the Bitcoin price came crashing down and a lot of fear, uncertainty and doubt got into the Bitcoin space. And a lot of it was centered around energy, mostly because Elon Musk said that Bitcoin is, you know, too energy intensive. And so I just wanted Ben's thoughts on Bitcoin and energy and we dive into it. And then we dive into a, another piece of FUD that is thrown around, around China controlling a lot of the Bitcoin mining. And is that a threat or not a threat? And Ben does a great job in articulating some concepts in the architecture of Bitcoin really clearly. So I really appreciated that. And that led us into, you know, should you run a node? What is a node? And uh, the Lightning Network, what's the Lightning Network? What are Lightning Channels? How does this all work? So we cover a whole bunch of stuff on this. I really had a great time chatting with them. And the reason that we, you know, we're so proud to share this information is that there is a decentralized banking system that is being born right now. And these are the concepts that you need to understand. It's, it's like over the last 10 years, Nick and I have done a lot of thinking and a lot of studying around the concepts of interest rates and debt and going to the Congressional Budget Office and checking out the deficits in the U.S. and then going to the Bank of Canada and watching the velocity of money and the M2 growth, the broad money supply growth here in Canada. We never thought that looking at all those things, including the demographics of real estate in the GTA and Golden Horseshoe, would lead us to something about Bitcoin and running nodes and what is the Lightning Network, but it's all tied together because these are the concepts of the new decentralized monetary network that is being born. And we think it is in all of our best interest to be very aware of these terms and to increase your knowledge in this particular space. The reason we got into real estate is because we felt it was an absolute great vehicle, and we still do, to live life on your terms taking income properties and creating streams of income in your life where you can use the central banking system almost against itself to qualify for properties and then control assets that go up in value because a lot of the debt and the deficit spending here is like to us a smart move. And then another smart move is learning about this new monetary system that's being born. And that's why we brought in Ben to talk about all this stuff. So we get into the FUD and then we get into some of the more advanced concepts or newer concepts in this episode as well. If you are listening to this and you want some information about the real estate market here in the greater Toronto area, some of the biggest things that we like to share around facts and, and, and data and why, you know, what, why should you look at real estate, what you should be looking at in the real estate market and why now? 
So we've put a lot of different things together on rockstarinnercircle.com. There you'll find the latest reports that we're publishing. We're about to publish a whole bunch of new ones, so stay tuned for those. We have multiple different books that we can share with you there. We have videos on different topics that we can share with you. And if you have a friend or family member or you yourself want to get into this more deeply, Nick and I host a free 90-minute real estate education class on income properties here in the GTA where we cover everything from mortgages and strategies and cash flow numbers, the whole bit. And you can register for that on rockstarinnercircle.com as well. So that's at rockstarinnercircle.com. Together, we can do anything. That's it with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life. Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. We are live with Ben BTC Sessions. And I know Ben BTC Sessions isn't your full name, but for some reason in my mind, that's how I always refer to you. But it's Ben Perrin, correct? Yes. Indeed. Uh, sometimes people call me Mr. Sessions, which I've I've taken a liking to because I find it so hilarious. But yes, it's Ben. Yeah. So welcome back, Mr. Sessions. It's good to be with you again. And we're in another Bitcoin session with Mr. Sessions here. So we have a lot to talk about. Originally, I bugged Ben to come on and I know how much you do. So I know your schedule must be busy. So, and I know you have a young family. So congrats. Mm -hmm. Thank Um, you. Yes. Yeah. So, and I know you're, 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 you know, how much you do. So I appreciate this, but the reason I originally reached out to you was to talk about lightning and the lightning network and opening your own lightning channel. And I want to get into that, but because the last week, depending on when you're listening to this, the last week or two weeks or so have been rather interesting in the Bitcoin world. I just wanted Mm -hmm. to start off with your thoughts. So I wanted to start with, because energy has come up so much. Yes. Um, and, and the reason I'm interested in your thoughts is Bitcoin to me, and this might sound you know, strange to some people who are new to us, Bitcoin to me represents something much more than um, like a digital form of, of money. It represents, it, it, this is going to sound weird, it, to me it represents pure individual freedom. And I strongly believe that you fix the money, you fix the world. And a lot of people, my friends, my brother, Nick, you know, will argue about this stuff back and forth. And I like, I like chatting about it, but I feel like Bitcoin is one of our best opportunities to fix a lot of what is wrong in this world. So it's, this goes much further to me than the price. Although the last few days and week, depending on when you're listening to this, we were just talking before we started recording, the price went straight down for a little while. And it looked like on my app, on my phone anyway, it looked like a waterfall just going straight. The line was going down so straight for so long that I have to admit, I didn't know if I was just going to stare at it and it was just going to go right to the bottom or what. So you have to survive these moments in Bitcoin. But but the reason I wanted to chat with you about Bitcoin and your thoughts on it is because a a lot of what started that was some fear, uncertainty, and doubt to me around Bitcoin and energy use. Yes. So when I say Bitcoin and energy use to you, what comes to mind to you? What, how, how do you approach this topic? So it's, it's interesting because energy use with Bitcoin is not approached in the same way that energy use with most other things is approached. Um, part of the reason for that is, is Bitcoin's incredibly transparent when it comes to 
how much energy is used to uh, secure the network. Um, it's pretty easy to get a, a relatively accurate picture of, of how much energy be, is being used. It's not as easy to get an accurate, right, immediate picture, or, or rather the question isn't asked as to um, where that energy is coming from. So a lot of people will look at, at Bitcoin. And, and one of the things, one of the misnomers that I, I see is they're trying to justify uh, and rationalize whether or not Bitcoin deserves to use that energy, which we often don't do for many other, um, you know, trivial things that we use energy for, like the amount of energy used for television or for uh, hot tubs or washer, washing machines, um, you know, dishwashers, things like that, that we could do in other ways or not use at all. Um, Christmas lights, things like that. A lot of people don't question the amount of energy that goes into that. They, they use it themselves. You know, I like having Christmas lights on my house. Um, and, and who's anybody to tell me, take those down. You're, we don't like the way you're using that energy. Well, I paid for that energy. I want to use it. Um, Bitcoin is not approached that way because a lot of people, it's still relatively new. Not a lot of people use it. Um, and so they, they tend to, they, they tend to try and, and say, well, this isn't a legitimate use of energy, which I think is, is totally incorrect, but I digress. Um, a, a lot of the mm, dismay around Bitcoin is that they'll compare it and say, well, it's, it's using as much energy as some kind of medium-sized countries, uh, which is not incorrect. It does use, it does use a fair amount of energy. Um, however, you have to look at what it's trying to replace. Well, it's, it's trying to replace uh, centralized currencies created by central banks. Um, and then you have to start to question what else, uh, you know, in a sense, maybe a lot of the functions of, of commercial banking, um, a lot of the inefficiencies of other stores of wealth, uh, a lot of the inefficiencies of, you know, the, the malinvestment of the stock market. Um, I mean, the entire banking sector, think of how much energy is sucked up by that, um, whether it be the data centers, whether it be the brick and mortar stores, whether it be all of the employees that come to and from uh, the commutes that they do, uh, the massive amounts of infrastructure on security. And there's, there's just a ton. And, and even getting down to the central bank currencies themselves that, in essence, are debased and then wealth is diverted to where a small number of people see fit, which even if it's done with the best intentions causes so many inefficiencies in the system that the second order effects are just catastrophic in the end. You know, we're, we're seeing inflation in Canada that we haven't seen in ages and not to mention the gauges that through which they measure that inflation are just 
totally off the rails anyways, and, and really understate what's going on. Um, you know, the energy usage of Bitcoin, I think it could use orders of magnitude more energy than it uses right now. And the trade-off would be more than worth it to fix all of the things that I've just said and so much more. But when you get down to it, people are questioning the sources of Bitcoin energy. And, and there's been a lot around that. Elon Musk was tweeting out because uh, there was some coal plant that came back online to mine Bitcoin. Um, and the energy usage in general of Bitcoin continues to go up um, over time. However, what they don't highlight is uh, the, what's known as the energy mix of, of where those where that energy is coming from. Um, I have a chart in front of me uh, from May of this year, and it shows that uh, the percentage share of energy coming from renewable resources, um, and this is goes back as far as 2019, um, when you look at the entire world, the percentage share of renewables is around 11.4%. When you look at Bitcoin, the percentage share of renewables that are used in it, 39%, almost four times as much as the global average. So when Elon Musk tweets that Bitcoin isn't using enough renewable resources, like I, how clean, quote unquote clean, does it need to be for him to get that seal of approval? four times as much the global average, I think that's pretty damn good. It, it blows most other industries out of the water. Some of the greenest industries on the planet, it's better than that if that's your benchmark. Um, a lot of it comes from uh, stranded hydro in rural China, absolutely. Um, uh, a lot of it comes from geothermal in Iceland. Um, there is some wind, but it can be spotty. Um, but it also helps uh, in things like solar and wind in that when you have an electricity grid, you have to have it built to perform at, at peak demand periods. The reason for that is if you have a city that you're trying to power with the, the, the grid, um, you have to always be prepared for peak demand. Otherwise, you risk rolling blackouts. So you have to be running at like full throttle based on the maximum amount of load that you need to provide. And anything that you're going above and beyond when max demand isn't there is effectively wasted. And so that means that building out a solar grid for a city or, or wind or other renewables that are unpredictable means you have to build up a lot, a lot of infrastructure. Um, and the cost of replacing that when it's not all being used, when all of that energy can't be sold, um, it, it makes it very inefficient. But Bitcoin fixes this. And the reason it does is you can effectively sell that additional renewable energy from solar, from wind, from other unpredictable methods of uh, obtaining energy to the Bitcoin network to secure it. And you effectively just, you're earning Bitcoin for executing that function of securing the network from being tinkered with from other miners. Um, and so <laughs> you can actually build up a grid of renewables, of, of wind and solar, and it actually makes it feasible in that the cost of the infrastructure to set up 
can be quickly paid off, even if you don't have homes and, and businesses to sell that energy to, you can sell it to the Bitcoin network when it's not currently being used. So Bitcoin miners effect- effectively seek out the cheapest and most efficient power sources to secure the network. And that's why you see stranded hydro. That's why you see, like in Alberta, natural gas that has no easy way to get to market when people are drilling for oil. That stuff is typically burned or vented into the atmosphere, which is horrible. What's happening now is Bitcoin miners are saying, hey, you're just wasting this. It's contributing to pollution. Why don't we capture that, harness it, stuff that would have been totally wasted, we're going to pump it into Bitcoin miners, we're going to convert that energy, reducing emissions, reducing carbon taxes, and making more profit for you. So all of a sudden, all this wasted energy is just being sucked up. There's so much wasted energy being produced on the planet that goes nowhere. And Bitcoin is just kind of sucking it up. So um, when I think energy with Bitcoin, I think that Bitcoin is going to be the biggest driver for the most efficient energy sourcing that the planet has ever seen, much contrary to the popular thinking right now of, oh, Bitcoin's going to boil our oceans. That's BS. And just listening to you kind of outline it there. So thank you, by the way, that was great. It's made me think of the centralization, not only of of money that Bitcoin's changing, but of energy. Because, you know, a lot of the energy that we all get is, let's face it, a lot of it is oil. A lot of it does come from countries like Saudi Arabia, where you have the U.S. military. I mean, I love Lynn Alden's article about this, the petrodollar system, where she just basically outlines like, hey, listen, our current system is called the petrodollar system. Mm -hmm. And it's protected by the U.S. military, which I'm sure uses a little bit of energy. And but but more than that, because, you know, I'm not even here to like debate that back and forth. It's more just that it's centralized because then if I think, if I hear you outline how energy is being used, can you imagine some countries maybe in South America that didn't have access to some of the centralized banking or centralized energy that exists today, and they're Mm -hmm. able to tap into some water sources or some natural source of energy that they have in excess. And Mm -hmm. with that energy, they can create monetary value like Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. What does that do to the world when we decentralize energy in that way and create monetary value from the energy? Yeah. To me, that's a beautiful thought because now people around the world who didn't have access, like I'm just going to say some of, you know, my, my, uh, I I have some family in, in the middle of Europe there and let's say they didn't have, you know, they currently don't have the easiest access in Croatia to buy Apple stock or, you know, any anything. It's uh, they can do it, of course, but it's not like it is here where you can just open a quick account and, and buy some mm-hmm. tomorrow. Can you imagine they could take some energy resources they might have and mine Bitcoin? What does yeah. that do to the world? It, it really kind of levels the world off to me. Well, it- Think of in the context of a a shift away from um, U.S. dollar dominance, right? Um, And and the funny enough, I just saw I haven't read the article yet, but uh, the International Monetary Fund or the IMF have just come out and said that um, diversifying away from a a uh, reserve currency that is the U.S. dollar and perhaps having multiple reserve currencies. Uh, around the world would be a more stabilizing thing for the the world. In my opinion, 
a a single transparent uh, standard for global monetary value where everybody knows exactly what to expect. Everybody knows, you know, you, you can have competitors, absolutely. But I think that it will gravitate towards a more singular network that is most widely used. Um, what does that do? It democratizes everything for the globe. All of a sudden, everybody can make well-informed uh, economic decisions because they understand exactly how the monetary base functions and will function forever into the future. That makes for a much better economic calculation than we currently have. Because, you know, go back two years, if you told somebody that they were going to print uh, between 30 and 40% of all existing US dollars, which are the basis of the, <laughs> the global reserve currency, in a single calendar year, who, who accounted for that? Nobody, nobody. And it makes, we were just talking about this in the office here. Um, it makes saving for whatever you want your retirement to, retirement to be difficult because you can't predict when it's so manipulated, the current system, the price of anything 20, 30 mm -hmm. years from now. So how do you save? Like, how do you possibly save today mm -hmm. in Canadian dollars or US dollars for the future when you really don't know the price of things because the dollars are so manipulated. For example, here in Canada, M2 over the last year, which is the broad money supply, grew about 19.9%, 20%. Property values in the greater Toronto area, just so you're aware, and I'm averaging, which in, in real estate is like you never average, it's never a true representation, yeah. but but I'm averaging to illustrate. the um, From March 2020 to March 2021 on the Toronto Real Estate Board, property prices went up 21%. Now M2, the money supply, went up 20%, property prices went up 21%. So, you know, what we argue to, to anyone who will listen is, did property prices go up at all? Or were they just flat when you divide yeah. it by a new denominator? Yeah. And when you use the new denominator that's grown, real estate mm -hmm. can stay, stay the same percentage of GDP, but prices could be double. Yeah, And, and, and it's, it's because it's the devaluation of the currency that's just distorting the economic indicators and no one really sees it. It's, it's hilarious to me when you see the bank of Canada coming out saying that real estate is, is, is getting so bubbly and we don't know how to fix it. When you're the, you're the cause of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course you're, you're, you're creating new money. You're devaluing the dollar. People know it. I mean, anybody who, whose job it is to try and preserve capital will recognize this fact and will try to funnel that money into anything that will preserve purchasing power. And that includes real estate and that includes Bitcoin and a host of other things that people view as better than sitting Canadian dollars in a bank account. I hold as few dollars as possible. I basically have my expenses set aside for the month. That's it. I do not want to hang on to that. Yeah, you're even more aggressive than us. We were just talking and uh, Nick and I kind of have a set number of months for our personal lives and for our business, but it's not a month. So you're, you're, you're even more, I got it, you know, hat tip to you. That's, that's cool. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty aggressive. I would say even in today's world, that's pretty aggressive, but, uh, but yeah, like I, I kind of agree with it, you know? Yeah. So, 
I think everyone's going to have to make that choice of how much do they want of the fiat dollars in their lives? And what do you want to do with everything outside that? Okay, so the next thing I wanted to get your opinion on, and I don't know if this requires a little definition of what miners are in a node is. Mm -hmm. But when I say, you know, um, because some of the other FUD that came up was China controls a lot of Bitcoin mining. Mm -hmm. And as a result, this one's been for the last six months. It's not more recently, but in, in and I'm sure you've heard this for years. Uh, but mm-hmm. for me, it's been really gaining steam in the last six months again. And what does when people hear that? Is that do you, what? What do you say, or what, what? How do you react when I say to you, "Well, Ben, uh, China clearly controls a lot of the Bitcoin mining, even over half of it. That must be yeah. that's a that's a threat to Bitcoin." So, this is a lesson learned. Um, from back in 2017. And so uh, currently, a lot of people assume that miners are the ones that control the Bitcoin network. And, and that is not true, uh, empirically not true, as proven through history. Um, but what a miner does is they harness energy and capital and uh, specialized computers called ASICs. Um, And effectively, those computers combined with uh, energy that cannot be faked, you have to have a certain amount of energy to to do this. They they use these computers and and that energy to effectively secure the network and take new transactions and add it to the Bitcoin blockchain. So if I transact with you, if I send you some money via the Bitcoin network, um, that transaction gets uh, sent out to the network. A miner can see it, pick it up amongst a bunch of other transactions, assemble those all together, um, while at the same time, basically kind of entering a lottery uh, to be the person that gets to attach all of those transactions to the blockchain, basically updating the ledger of who owns what. And in doing so, in expending that energy and and that time, uh, if they win that lottery, then they are rewarded with newly minted Bitcoin. Um, which is diminishes over time. Uh, the, the reward diminishes over time every four years, as well as any transaction fees that were attached by the users in sending. So if I sent you a transaction on the Bitcoin network, I would attach a fee depending on how quickly I want that transaction to be confirmed. So, so they're executing what, what seems like uh, governance over the system, but it's really not that. Um, they are executing a service. And so the, the real governance of Bitcoin comes in people who run the software, uh, what's known as a Bitcoin node. And I, I know you wanted to touch on, on nodes, but this kind of ties in. So I, is it okay if I kind of Oh yeah, run absolutely. Yes, yes. Okay, so, so a Bitcoin node uh, is a copy of every single Bitcoin transaction that has ever taken place since the beginning of the network, as well as a copy of all the rules that govern how the network functions. Things like there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin and there can only be X number of transactions or X amount of data put through the network every roughly every 10 minutes. Um, very important things. And so you can do this quite affordably by uh, having a, a, for for myself, I have a tidy, dedicated machine behind me on my shelf over over here. And uh, 
and it's it's effectively like a, a Raspberry Pi computer, which is a computer about the size of a credit card and uh, a little hard drive connected to it. And so that runs everything I just described, a copy of all the transactions, um, the whole ledger, as well as the, the rule set. So I run that software and my software will only pay attention to blocks of transactions that are mined that adhere to the rules that I'm running on my node. So it's basically, think of like, you can think of like the, the constitution in the US or the, the charter of rights and freedoms here in Canada. But I, I basically got this, this charter here. That, I was going to make a charter of rights. I was going to make a charter of rights joke about Canada, but I'll just <laughs> yeah, keep going. yeah. This we'll just yeah, this geez, this charter we'll just, can't be ignored. <laughs> is the difference? Okay, yes, yeah. We'll just keep going on that. Okay, but yeah. that's I never thought of a node like that. So yeah, please keep going. Yeah. So so basically, I have this this charter or or this constitution that is sitting on this tiny affordable computer that is sitting behind me, and um. And it, it outlines all the rules. Hey, you know, you, you can't create Bitcoin that don't, don't fit within the 21 million cap. You can't arbitrarily create things. If you do a transaction, it has to adhere to certain rules. It can't deviate from them in any way, shape or form. And so what a miner is doing, a miner is trying to uh, aggregate transactions that fit within that rule set. And if they do not fit within that rule set, let's say a miner accepted a transaction or, or quote unquote, mined a transaction that uh, arbitrarily created extra Bitcoin, arbitrarily created 10 extra Bitcoin that didn't exist before um, and, and weren't part of the issuance schedule that Bitcoin already uh, has. Well, my node would see that and say, that's that's not within consensus. I don't agree to that. I'm going to ignore it. I won't accept it. Um, it basically never happened in my eyes. And so what's the consequence to the miner? Well, they have real expenses for that, right? They have all of their infrastructure. They have all of the amount of energy that they've just expended. And the reward that they were trying to get is guaranteed to not go to them. If they continue to do that, Effectively, what they're doing is they're creating an alternative network that is, it's known as a fork, that is outside of the consensus rules. They're, they're creating an altcoin. We've seen this in the past, things like Bitcoin Cash. Um, they, they change the rules and uh, users, by and large, did not go along with that rule change. Um, it, it's a different network. Um, so miners can mine whatever they like, but my node will ignore it along with tens of thousands of nodes around the world. Um, so really miner, miners don't control anything. They execute a service for the users and the economic majority who decide what Bitcoin is. Um, this was learned in 2017 when a large number of miners, like 80% of the miners at the time, as well as 50 of the largest companies in Bitcoin, a lot of prominent people in the space at the time, they all tried to change the way Bitcoin worked, uh, swap out some of the developers, well, all of the developers for their own team. Um, and, and that failed massively. It was a, it's, it was an, <laughs> it was 
unprecedented the scale of that failure. Um, so were you just, they, were like, were you literally just crapping your pants at that moment? Because for anyone who's not clear, I guess that was where the miners were trying to exert control. Correct me if I'm, if I'm not yeah. speaking our, uh, well here, miners were trying to exert control on the network and say, Hey, we're yes. going to change the rules here. And we're going to take some of the Bitcoin core developers with us, I guess, paying them or I don't know, whatever. No, no, no. They, they were oh. trying to eject the core developers. They were trying to say the core development team is not doing what we want. We're going oh. to replace them with our oh. own developers. So you can, you can think of the danger of that because the precedent would then be set that a small group of people, regardless of the fact that there was a lot of miners there, but a small group of people um, and companies actually had control of the network if that had worked right and then you've got centralized development you could we're back to centralization we're back to centralization well, well exactly and even if they were acting in good faith right the precedent that that would set is that governments around the world would then understand hey these are the people that control bitcoin so if we want to change it then we go to them it didn't work. It did not work. Effectively, there were futures markets that were based on what would have resulted in that split. Um, the Their version of the coin would have been worth about a quarter of what Bitcoin was worth at the time. Um, they backed so was, out. Sorry, oh, they backed ahead. out. No, no, that's what happened. They backed out. So 24 hours prior to this change that was supposed to go through, they backed out because the whole Bitcoin community, like the individuals running nodes were like, we're we're, there's no way we're doing this. We will fight tooth and nail. We're, we're not updating the software to your garbage that you've just pumped out and your single developer that you have running this thing. We are standing strong as a community of individuals running nodes, and there's nothing you can do to change it. They backed out 24 hours prior to this change that was supposed to go through. And it's a good thing because somebody still deployed it to see what would happen. The damn thing broke almost immediately. It would have been catastrophic. It, the Bitcoin network would have been offline. Um, and Bitcoin has like a 99.98% uptime since inception for the past 12 years. Uh, it would have been catastrophic. So um, in so the end, I what we learned is that miners miners control nothing. They they provide a service for people that are, are economically aligned and, and want Bitcoin as is. And if they can't provide that service, they're going to waste energy mining something other than Bitcoin. And I'm sure somebody else will happily step in and provide that service. So, Wow. Okay. Great info. So thank you. So if I just to recap for myself here, miners are securing the network. Miners work mm -hmm. to take different transactions that are submitted and assemble them and try to update the ledger that it, mm -hmm. the, the nodes maintain. And yes. if they win the lottery of getting, you know, solving the cryptography that's involved, you can tell how technical yeah. I am there, right? The, the cryptography. Close enough. Close. They do some that's complicated things. They do some complicated work. The miners get rewarded with some newly minted Bitcoin, like you said, mm -hmm. and the transaction is confirmed if it meets, you know, all the consensus rules or the constitution or charter of rights that the nodes mm -hmm. are maintaining yeah. so yes. that no miner can just arbitrarily say, ah, we're going to sneak a hundred extra Bitcoin into this person's wallet over here, or this country yeah. who owns this wallet is going to get an extra hundred Bitcoin or something like that. So the, the nodes would reject any transactions like that. So the ledger yeah. maintains its purity because yeah. it, it, 
it cannot be updated unless the rules are followed. And ultimately yeah. then it's the nodes, not the miners that control the network. And the miners are the things that you see on TV all the time when you see big walls of computers, often in yeah. Iceland for whatever reason. I always see the Icelands. I don't know why. Um, but Geothermal. Yeah, geothermal. Yeah, the, the cheap yeah. energy prices are relatively cheap, I guess. Um, but the nodes, like you said, we have one here at the Rockstar office, and we're you know we're using Umbral on this particular one, mm -hmm. and just a Raspberry Pi. I think it cost me for parts two hundred bucks, can maybe two fifty Canadian or so, yeah. something mm -hmm. like that. And it literally, I followed their instructions. It took me twenty five minutes to assemble the pieces, and then yeah. start synchronizing. And uh, it's brilliant. And now I feel like I'm participating in maintaining the decentralization of the Bitcoin yeah. network. So when you hear miners in China control it, that doesn't really resonate with you because you know the nodes control it. Yeah. Yeah. So so what people are worried about when they say, oh, a Bitcoin is centralized in, in China and China could control it. And um, there's, there's something called a 51% attack. And what this means is if... A, a single entity has effectively 51% of the computing power of the entire Bitcoin network, um, then what they can do is they can feasibly start to tinker with recently confirmed transactions. And so they, what they can't do is they can't steal anybody's Bitcoin. Um, they can't uh, you know, move Bitcoin that is not theirs. They can start to reorganize the order of things that have happened. They might omit a transaction um, in that was previously confirmed. Um, so that's that's a threat. But what you have to think about is you're talking about all the infrastructure and everything to keep that up. Um, people are worried about. Uh, mining infrastructure as a whole within a single country, within all of China. So, I mean, effectively, you would have to have, um, you would have to have the the Chinese government first of all find all of the the miners in China, um, basically control every single mine within the country, um, and change all of that. And furthermore. The, the numbers that you're getting in terms of uh, Bitcoin mining within China, it's known as mining pools. So people can kind of pool their resources to have a statistically higher chance of getting that reward of mining a block. Um, but people can also reallocate there. So if I'm running a miner at home, which I don't recommend people individually run miners, it's, you're not going to you're not going to be doing so hot unless you're at scale. Um, but let's say I was running a miner at home. The statistic chance of me by myself winning uh, that lottery are, are basically nil. But if I join a mining pool, the way they do it is they pool everybody's resources and they say your percentage of the energy expended is this. You'll get this percentage of the reward every time we win the lottery. Um, so People can reallocate their hash power. People can reallocate their mining power away from China. Now that doesn't count if the, the mining rigs themselves are in China, but a lot of people, that, that's not how it works. There's people around the globe that will say, oh, I'm going to join this mining pool, which is, is centered in China, but my rigs are not there. And so they can just reallocate and be like, well, I'm going to join this other 
mining pool over here. So if they saw something tricky going on, sneaky going on, where it was pretty obvious that the, the Chinese military had moved on a bunch of found and then moved on all of these mining farms and tried to take over and start tinkering with transactions, people just reallocate to different mining pools. Um, so, so really to me, that's, it's really not a threat, but even to, to push back on even the very idea that China is, would try to do that, they're currently trying to ban mining. So, so you've got, you've got two different narratives, right? You've got, uh, mining in China is bad because it's centralized and China will try to take over the Bitcoin network. That's one narrative. And then you've got two, uh, China is trying to ban Bitcoin mining and that's bad and it's scary. So it's like, you got to pick a side. Is it scary because China's trying to take it over or scary because China's trying to ban it? Because you can't have it's both. Just, it's just scary all around. Yeah, it, it, it's ludicrous when you start breaking it out so simply like that. Okay, so yeah. then what do I get? Because I, for whatever reason, when I started running this node, I just felt so proud, Ben, like ridiculous, like yes. a kid. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. What if someone wanted to you know, buy these parts and assemble them, um, what do they get? Like, what are you, yeah. you know, what I can, you know, I, I, I hear the language, you confirm your own transactions or, or some, you know, what does yeah. someone get when they're running their own node? You become the central bank. You become the central bank. You Which take is the what power we've always away. secretly all wanted to become the yeah. bank. <laughs> well, effectively, what you're doing is you're saying, these are the rules of the currency and I will ignore anything you do outside of those rules. So it's, it's not, I mean... In essence, it, it is kind of supporting the network, but I, I tend to think of running a node as more of a selfish action. It's, a, it's an adversarial action. It's a, a, an action which takes away trusted third parties. If you're running just a, a Bitcoin wallet on your phone, you download an app, and even if, you know you get your keys, you write down your backup and everything like that. So you, you're being a good Bitcoiner. You have your own the keys to your money. It's not le left on an exchange in somebody else's custody. Great, but there is still a degree of trust there because at that point, if you just have an app on your phone or on your computer and that's it, um, you're trusting somebody else. You know, typically the the company that created that wallet to run a node for you to run a copy of the, the Bitcoin blockchain of all the transactions and all the rules. And so when, you're, when, you're, when your phone app does a transaction or accepts a transaction, it's referring to the node run by say Blue Wallet or um, I don't know, Wasabi Wallet or, or what's another one that- So Green this would apply or, to Ledger too? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, if, if you have a Ledger um, and you're using- you never thought live. about that way. Yeah. 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 So you, you just have an app on, on your computer or on your phone and it connects to your ledger device. That's totally fine. Um, but just know that ledger is running probably multiple Bitcoin nodes. And when you receive a transaction, ledger is saying, Hey, our node that we're running here sees a transaction coming into your address, which you own the keys to. But you're trusting that their node is correct. Yeah, never and you're trusting like more so the, the scarier part is that you're trusting them to not change the rules of Bitcoin 
if there was some sort of collusion among like in the I alluded to in the past where a bunch of companies got together and a bunch of miners got together and said we want to change the rules you're trusting them not to do that because it's not referring to your node it's referring to theirs and if they upgrade their software to something different you don't have a say in that hmm. so but when you run your own node you can take like on one of your videos you share I don't know if you actually have this video yet. Do you have a blue wallet? You have a blue wallet video because yeah. I've mm-hmm. watched it, but you also have a blue wallet, a blue wallet video with Umbrel too, or your MyNode. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so within like, for instance, you're running Umbrel and Umbrel has a copy of the Bitcoin blockchain on it, um, along with a bunch of other cool software that interacts with Bitcoin. But e- effectively on Umbrel, you can go and there's a, a thing that says connect wallet. And then there's a little drop down menu and it gives you a bunch of different options because there's different ways to connect. But one of the options is Blue Wallet. And it'll say, here's a little snippet of code or here's a little QR code that you can scan. And all you need to do is, is take this little URL, this, this little string of digits, and just paste it into the settings on your Blue Wallet. And from then on in, your Blue Wallet will no longer be trusting the guys at Blue Wallet and their node. It will be referring to your own node. And nobody can force you to, you know, change that software or upgrade to a different version of Bitcoin. It's always the one that you choose to run. And so you can connect a lot of, you know, I won't say every Bitcoin wallet um, because some of them are just made for ease of use and don't add in those extra features for people. But all good Bitcoin wallets are going to allow you, if you choose to, to connect to your own node so that you don't have to trust anybody else. And this is kind of what's offered to you through running a node is you're saying, I don't, I literally do not trust anyone and I do not want them to run Bitcoin for me. I want to run Bitcoin. I want to choose what it is. And if I see something fishy going on, I just don't change what my node is doing. It's, it's, I'm running Bitcoin. And if somebody says it's something different, I'm not going to listen to them. Wow. I never thought of it. Ben, thank you. I never really thought of it like that. I didn't get that. And I don't know if that's embarrassing to admit or not, but it's the truth. I didn't quite no. get it. Like I understood, oh, I'm going to connect my blue wallet that I have on my phone to my node directly, but I still didn't associate it with, or, or look at it that with, you know, a hardware wallet that I was running a different wallet, maybe with a nano, like we discussed that I'm going to mm-hmm. depend on the ledger having nodes that, that uh, confirm some transactions. Yeah. Basically, if you're, if, if you're using it's, a Bitcoin wallet and you don't have a node, you're trusting somebody else's node. Mm-hmm. Yeah, damn. <laughs> wow. Okay, that's, that's huge for me. So thank you. Okay, so then I want to, tr- so that's great. So if you decide you want to take the plunge into a node, um, I think it's like the coolest thing ever. I'm sure the software has come a long way since you started because for me, it was so simple. It was great. Yeah. It took like five or six days to update everything to get every transaction yeah. from the beginning of time, which is normal and what you want. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was super yeah. cool to kind of see happen as well. And then now here in on my, it's literally on my desk here. I have the entire Bitcoin ledger, just like you have on your shelf there, which is super mm-hmm. cool. So then I guess there's been a lot of talk over the years. Um, and especially since I started paying attention the last year that the Bitcoin network will never really be anything meaningful because it's just a little too slow. And my counter to that immediately, without even knowing about the Lightning Network, which I want you to explain if you could, mm-hmm. is that, well, it's not meant to. Like, I know, you know, a lot of people will, will I think, what's his face? Um, is it Nassim? No, Taleb? What's his? What's Taleb. His? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, like, yeah. he's going, because he, you know, he's kind of 
famous or infamous or something. Yeah. He'll, he'll always, or people like him will always refer to Satoshi Nakamoto and saying it should be like an e-cash system. And I always kind of scratch my head at that. I'm like, well, wait a second. The, the purpose of this is, or, or what Bitcoin is serving is so huge and the need it is satisfying is so huge. Mm-hmm. Why don't you get it? Like, just yeah. look at what's ha- what's happening here. And then they'll say, well, Bitcoin doesn't um, transact fast enough so that it can never really be this digital form of currency that we're going to be using day to day. And uh, I always just think that's just complete bananas. I, I don't get it. And then the Lightning it's- Network came out and kind of did something. So can you give me your thoughts on maybe any and all of yeah. that? Yeah. So um, people that point to Bitcoin's transactions per second have a fundamental a, a fundamental dis, a misunderstanding of one, what it's trying to replace and two, uh, the trade-offs that come with upping that limit. Um, so Bitcoin's trying to replace the base layer of all of our money, right? It's, it's, it's replacing central banks and effectively central bank settlement and control over the monetary supply. It's replacing all of that. When you think of settlement between central banks, I feel that's like cheering what, every time you say something like that. I just feel like cheering. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yes. It's exactly. Well, I, and, and, yeah. And, and I that, just get happy. I immediately get happy. Ben, so this is yeah. sometimes where I think I have a problem because I hear something like that. I'm like, shit. Yeah. That's what's happening right here. Don't you get it? You know? Yeah. And so, and so that. That's kind of the root of the problem of, of everything with our financial system across the globe is, is the base layer, is the central banking, the, the tinkering, the people that think that a few people in a room know better than the aggregate information of every single economic actor on the planet. A few people in a room think that they can better allocate capital than the aggregate knowledge of 8 billion people on the planet individually making economic decisions. Imagine the hubris that it takes to think that's possible. This is what we're replacing. So we need to take that, we need to dump that shit in the trash and we need to replace it with something that's just open and accessible for everyone. And that's what that's what Bitcoin is. It's replacing all of that. And so think of think of a central bank settlement, or even think of interbank settlements. How long does that take? Days at least, at least days for, for central bank and, and, uh, and interbank settlement, like commercial banks, 10 minutes. That's what it takes to settle on Bitcoin. Like anywhere on the planet, any amount of money, um, you know, that's what you're competing for with the Bitcoin network is the importance of that, Ben, just on that point, because I think it's lost on a lot of people. The finality of that is important because if you send a wire to someone through the current SWIFT system, Mm -hmm. you can unwind that. You can literally go back to your bank and say, well, I kind of messed up. I never meant to send that. And I'm not saying it's going to be as easy as I'm describing, Mm -hmm. but it is possible to reverse those transactions. Sometimes months later. Yeah, some, sometimes months later. Yeah, I was going to say weeks, months later. So if that happens, it slows the speed at which some business can be done because you don't really know if you've received the money for payment of whatever you are buying from a retailer, from a wholesaler and whatever banking transaction that you're doing because that could always be unwound on you. And because Bitcoin settles with finality, 
that is really important to me because it, it's going to speed up the processing of the economy. There's going to be a lot of efficiencies that come out of this that we're not even able to figure out yet. And I feel the importance of this is absolutely huge because it's going to programmatically change our money. And when you can put money and have computers do things with it that we never thought could be possible before, it's going to change the whole economy. And I think it's for the better. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's, so I think, it, you know, sometimes that's not discussed in the Bitcoin community enough. It's the finality of it that is just yeah. absolutely, and maybe it is, you would know better than I, but it's absolutely well, yeah. huge. It, it's, it's insane. The, the velocity of money on a global scale has just made a quantum leap forward, like orders of magnitude. Um, and so, yeah, that's our base layer of Bitcoin is fixing for that. It's it's fixing that we don't, the power that comes with having control over the people's money is too great. Even if the people running it at one time were or are altruistic and doing it for the, with the best intentions, you also have to put that trust forward to every single person from now on for the rest of time to exert that same level of control and thoughtfulness, like uh, putting aside the fact that you can't possibly, again, the hubris factor of, of thinking that your individual narrow view of the world economy is better than that of the, the economic input of every single individual human on the planet. Um, the, the power is too great, whether it be through uh, malice or whether it just be through stupidity um it, it the power is too great like you can't trust a small number of people so we're replacing that but let's let's talk about now those those criticisms of oh it's it's you know seven transactions per second nobody's going to be able to the globe can't use that again that's not what we're replacing you can build transactional layers on top of bitcoin and so this is what lightning network does so I'm going to kind of give like a, a little bit of an explainer on, on what Lightning does in the background. So Lightning locks up real Bitcoin in what's known as uh, Lightning channels um, between individuals or institutions or whoever. If I'm a business, I could open a channel with another business. If I'm a person, I can open a channel with another person or with a business or whatever however you're doing it. Um, let's just say for, for the, the sake of argument that you are uh, a business owner, you're, you're operating a bar and I'm a patron. And so I could come in and sit down at a table. And every time I order a drink, I make a payment, like a full settlement payment on the Bitcoin blockchain. That's, uh, you know, I could do that, but it's not going to be super efficient. Um, and as competition kind of ramps up for the limited amount of data that is processed on the, on the Bitcoin blockchain every 10 minutes, the fees that I might have to pay to have like the equivalent of central bank settlement on every beer that I purchase is one, not needed and two, too expensive to, to be transacting that way. It's, it's not the most efficient way I could use the network. Now, Lightning Network allows me to lock up capital, almost like a tab between myself and the bar owner. 
And so let's say I, I open up a tab for $100 just for round numbers for easy thinking. Um, effectively, what's sitting there is I have a, a, a locked up channel between myself and the bar and $100 worth of Bitcoin sitting on my side of the channel. And what that channel is, is basically it, it's a pre-signed Bitcoin transaction that says, right now, under the current state of this contract, I approve $0 going to the bar and $100 going to me, which was originally mine. But as the bartender brings over each beer, we change the terms of the contract. And I say, okay, this is a pre-signed transaction to settle on the Bitcoin network where $5 goes to you and 95 goes to me. And so we keep updating that contract every time a beer comes over. So let's say I have five beers at the end of the night, 25 bucks is going to the bar, $75 is going to me. And that is a pre-signed transaction to settle on the Bitcoin network. If I wanted to at that point, I'm going home. All right, we can settle this up. Let's just settle all of that to the Bitcoin network. Um, and so those five transactions turn into two because there's one transaction to open channel, one transaction to close it. However, this is not exactly how it always plays out because oftentimes you're, you don't close channels. You keep them open for a later date. Maybe it's not a bar. Maybe it's just a, a, another business and they have uh, they sometimes transact with you and you transact with them and you have a flow of cash between you. Uh, but beyond that, other that business that you connect to or that individual that you connect to, they're going to have channels open with other people. You're going to have channels open with other people. And the way that this bumping of, of capital between you two goes, it's kind of like an abacus where you can move the beads from one side to the other. You can route payments through other people that also have other channels. You and did. So again, let's so I'll just pause you there for one second. You do a great job of this, and your in, it's not your very latest video, but it is the video mm -hmm. about the Lightning Network. I'll ask you to give maybe the full title out, or I have it yep. open here and read it out. Mm -hmm. When you use that little graphic with the abacus beads, that yeah. really helped me understand what was happening and how you're using the Lightning Network to route payments to other people beyond maybe the bar owner or the bartender that you're dealing with in your example. That was yeah. really enlightening to me. And that made me understand that, wow, when more and more lightning channels are open, it's like this interconnected web yeah. of, of, of a payment system that's being layered on top of Bitcoin that we are all building. We're all individually helping to build this new mm -hmm. network of monetary, a monetary system, but individually we're all helping to build it. Yeah. It's completely it's mind blowing. It's astounding. Like what you can do with Lightning Network, and again, you you can run a Lightning node if you choose to, which is like you you're running Umbro right now. It has a copy of the Bitcoin blockchain and all that, so that you're basically you're you're confirming the settlement of the the central bank, the distributed central bank that is Bitcoin. But then you can also become an operator that participates in this liquidity pool with Lightning Network on top of Bitcoin for quick transactions. You do not have to do this because there are other options where all that heavy lifting and, and tinkering can be abstracted away. And you can just kind of interact with Lightning without having to think too much. But if you choose to, you can be an individual that effectively is routing payments. 
And you can actually earn small fees through that, especially right now that, you know, it's, it's negligible fees that you'd be taking in if you're well-connected, but moving into the future that it could be something where you actually, you know, get, get a little slice of cash here and there for doing this. But effectively what you're doing is you're opening channels between other well-connected individuals. You're locking up your capital as, as liquidity for people to use, to be able to route payments instantly and very, very cheaply. The average transaction that I do on, on the Lightning Network might cost me a fraction of a penny. Sometimes it might be a few pennies if I'm, and, and it, at, contrary to how Bitcoin, the base layer works, Bitcoin, you're spending money based on the amount of data you're transacting. Lightning, it's more based on the amount that you're spending, the liquidity required to move that capital around. So um, Lightning is, is especially useful for those smaller transactions. You want to buy a coffee? Easy. You want to send somebody? This is, this is one of the cool things that I've been tinkering with, and this will be a future video. But my show that I do, I also do it audio only. Um, so I do videos, but I also do audio only for news and, and panel discussions. And so my podcast is now available on a lightning network wallet app. And so what can it, it, it seconds as a podcast platform, what you can do is somebody can go and listen to the podcast and say, Hey, I'm willing to spend a fraction of a penny for every minute that I listen to this podcast. And I'm looking at my lightning node right now and I see a stream of like 50 sats every minute coming in as somebody listens to my show. And they're saying like, if it's good and I'm listening to it, sure. I'm more than willing to pay 50, you know, and that's like a fraction of a penny, but you're streaming money. The notion of things like two week pay periods is obsolete. Imagine going to work and just hitting on and money is streaming to you for every minute that you work. There's no settlement. That you're providing value, that you're providing value, like deserved yeah. money where you're providing value. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Is that through, how, how am I able to do, so I haven't done that with anyone yet. The only thing I did is I installed Sphinx and I, yeah. I got, I think it's Preston Pish's chat that he has or something. Mm -hmm. That's the only yeah. thing I've done, but is it through Sphinx? I can get your podcast. So no? I haven't, I actually haven't done the Sphinx chat thing okay. yet. That's going to, that's upcoming for me. This is through, um, uh, a lightning wallet called breeze B R E E Z. And, and I can do that myself now that I have my node set up. You can do that yourself. They do have a, a blog post on how to do it. Oh, great. Okay. Um, it's, it's through, do you know who Adam Curry is? Like one of the original podcasters. Uh, okay. That, I feel like I've heard the name, but I don't know him. No. There's a podcast called No Agenda, I believe, um, that's been out forever. He's one of the first podcasters out there. Anyways, he's championing, championing this idea of streaming podcasts and inst like basically streaming payments to podcasters. And he's the one who's kind of digging through all of this and, and making it possible and I mean, it's, it's incredible what he's doing. And the idea of, of taking something like lightning and plugging it into, or, or doing like a hybrid model where if you want to watch the live stream, 
lets you, you pay X amount of sats per minute as you watch the live stream. And then it's available afterwards with ads on the main channel or something. You could have all kinds of crazy models for content now that streaming money is possible. It's, it's insane to me. This is completely insane. This, this is where the stuff where, where I was mentioning earlier, programmatic money, where, you know, I didn't, I didn't use your example here of streaming, but this is where it's game changing. The middle, the middle is just being destroyed in everything. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when we first got into Bitcoin, I explained to Nick, I was like, Nick, the way I think about it is MP3s destroyed the music industry and Apple music and Spotify basically became the big players in town. And nobody had heard of Spotify or Apple music a few years before. And MP3s just kind of like upended the music industry. Bitcoin is going to do that to finance and banking, and they don't even see it yet. I don't even think in 2021 they get it yet. And some do, to be fair. Ray Dalio's uh, CFO from Bridgewater, I know, went over to Nidig. So some are obviously getting it. I shouldn't say that. Yeah. But I do feel like this is going to catch a lot of people off guard when we can stream you sats for the value that you're bringing. Are oh, you? I yeah, can see so your you, screen now. Yeah. You can see Yeah. So I know people are listening audio only won't, won't see this but effectively i'm looking at my lightning node oh right my now God, that's so cool and, and there's a stream of payments wow. this is from a couple couple days ago somebody must have been listening to the podcast via breeze but they they set their rate of number of satoshis which a satoshi is the smallest unit of a bitcoin um how many sats per minute they're willing to pay to listen to the podcast and they clearly they set it at 45 because i have a stream of payments from somebody that was listening. And wow. there's like, there, wow, there I see it. You're be... scrolling and scrolling here. Were yeah, you there's, freaking there's... out when you saw this come in or when you saw the report? Well, it's just it's incredible. Yeah, I just looked and I was like, oh, somebody listened to the podcast. And you can see that just all the way down. Somebody set one set it at like 10 sats per byte or nine sats per, not per byte, but per, uh, uh, per minute. And, and yeah, so, so people can just set that amount and just and just let it go and so yeah wow. it's, it's it's crazy to see these payments streaming in and like fractions of a penny streaming into my lightning node and so this is where running a lightning node may be interesting to some people because for for you tom it's going to be necessary for you to have a connected a well-connected lightning node in order to start doing this um there are options for people to host a node for you for those that are like, listen, I don't want to get into the technicals. You can get that. So if like, especially if you have a well-established podcast that there's a lot of listeners and, and doing it regularly, and you think that'll bring in uh, a decent amount of money through that, then you don't have to go and set up your own node and you can kind of, you know, that can be a service that people offer. But the important part here is that you can do it. You don't have to go to those third parties. And that's what Bitcoin's all about. Some people won't run nodes. Not everybody has to. Some people won't run lightning nodes. They'll use a, a custodial option or some like an in-between where a lot of that's abstracted away by a third party. And people will be happy to pay some fees for that. But the important thing is that anybody who wants to get on the same level as a central bank, there is basically a non-existent hurdle to get there. You can be that central bank. Anybody can be that central bank. There's no distinction between somebody sitting at home in their living room 
and Jerome Powell. There's no distinction anymore. This is blowing my mind because no one would have done that before Ben to you. And you wouldn't have set this up because just the fees of all the middlemen in between there would have Mm -hmm. eaten away at those micro payments or those small streaming payments. So it just wouldn't have been worthwhile if you were owning, if you had to use a merchant account and pay the merchant account fees and banking fees, it just wouldn't be worth it. But now it's almost like we're unlocking a level of value in the economy that was never tapped. You know what I mean? Like there's this value that was never tapped because of the cumbersome banking system. And it's almost like it's all going to be unleashed. And it's a little bit, I would say, even for me, I'm, you know, I'm more on the geeky side and I'm proud of it to be able to set this up. And I'm going to go through your video because I want to properly set up my lightning node and I want to open some channels and I want to contribute here. I just feel obligated to do stuff, even though I don't really know, I just want to participate. Um, but I can feel that in the next two years, like you said, it'll all just be so much even easier than today. Yeah. Because two oh, years yeah. ago, I don't think I could set something. I don't think lightning maybe was at the stage, but now the fact that someone yeah. might, like myself can open a, open a lightning channel. I have this Sphinx chat where I've been sending sats to people who are posting things and different designs of t-shirts for the Miami event that's happening. And I'm just ah, yes. like sending sats over just to say, yeah, that's a good design. And I'm thinking of all the spam that it eliminates because even to participate in this chat, there's sats going back and forth. So you don't yeah. really want to spam the chat because every time you send something to the chat, it costs you some sats. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's all this new world that's forming in front of us. It's, 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 I, I just get super excited about it. Think of what this does to uh, the subscription model for things like just like journalism sites, like any, any site like Wall Street Journal has a paywall. They're like, well, you got to subscribe for 10 bucks a month, I'm not subscribing for 10 bucks a month. And so you, you click off and you go somewhere else. But if you were to get to a website and they're like, listen, you got to pay five cents to read this article. Sure. Hundred percent. I, you know, I read the first few, the first paragraph. I kind of, I kind of want to see what's up. Five cents, click, sent, done. Nothing in between, gone. All of a sudden, that that subscription model of ten bucks a month. Because what you're going to read, like a few articles. How many articles don't get read because of a paywall? A lot, I imagine. All of a sudden, that's accessible. That's accessible via Lightning streaming payments, whatever. You could even have it based on how far you actually end up scrolling down the page, right? You could have a ticker as you scroll down, you get a few paragraphs, you're like, oh, this is trash. I don't want to read this. You click out of it. You're not spending any more money. I feel like we're going back to this era that where everyone's the baker, the butcher, and the candlestick maker. Mm -hmm. Everybody can be their own entrepreneur and it's very easy. And it's the value that you contribute is that's the amount you're kind of rewarded back. And it's really just incredible where I feel like the last little while. And, and, and it hasn't been that way just because there's been barriers and, and, you know, some of it, the world has progressed in many different ways, but I feel like this is the next level. This is something yeah. bigger. And, and I, I really like the idea or if, if, if something like the money that we decide to use as money, as a population of people, if it goes up in value and the things around it go down in value, which is the opposite that we have now, right? The Canadian mm-hmm. dollar will go down in value and the things around it in the economy will go up in, you know, quote unquote yeah. value. What it does to me in the economy is that it makes people produce better things. Yes. Because right now, because the dollar is going down, 
everybody produces cheap clothing and cheap everything, cheap furniture, cheap whatever you're buying because yeah. it's expensive to produce good stuff. Yeah. But if the money goes up in value and the things get cheaper and cheaper, it almost forces you to produce good things as a business, both services and goods to get the person who has the money that's appreciating to separate themselves from that money. Yeah. You really have yeah, to bring it's... a ton of value to the economy to get that separation. For Ben to separate himself from some Bitcoin, from, Sato from some sats, I have to produce a lot of value. So the onus is on me to bring a lot to the table here. And yeah. I like that. I think it's going to elevate all of us. Yeah. There's, there's a, a tendency in the Bitcoin community amongst a lot of people that I know to refer to things that are crappy as fiat. Yeah. So- so like you, you, you talk about fiat money and the nature of that is to devalue um, you, fiat products, right? It's driven as, as much as people don't realize it, it's so subconscious, but the money drives every behavior and it be, drives the behavior of people that produce goods and services. And so when people are not... Uh, uh, are, are incentivized to part with their money quicker, they're more likely to buy crappy products. When people are incentivized to save, what does that drive? It, like you said, it drives much better products because people are competing to try and get that value, to try and get that money and, and separate you from your money. There's, there's a great article called Everyone is a Scammer. Uh, I forget who wrote it. I think it was... Uh, a marketer uh, wrote that. Some marketer, some. No, it was it was a bitcoiner. It was a bitcoiner. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. But 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 what they're getting at is everybody is in, in is trying to transact in a way that they feel benefits them more than the other person. Oh, got right? it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're trying to extract yeah. value for yourself, and so in in an equation where your money is worth less than the the people that are building pretty trash products, they're at an advantage. When the money is accruing value, when you can save it and retain or increase your purchasing power over time, the consumer, the individual is at the advantage because it forces better quality products into the market just to get you to consider. People won't stop spending, but they'll be more considerate about where they spend. And so you know, that's a world that I prefer to live in. I prefer to buy something and know that it's going to last. And even where we have this overlap where I'm living on a sound money standard in a fiat world, what am I doing right now? Well, I'm, I'm more likely to purchase the thing that's going to last longer where, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> I shouldn't say unfortunately, but we, we did our basement this year uh, and the, the cost of lumber between the time when we started versus the time when we finished was quite different. Yeah, but, five times. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, but, but in everything that we got for the basement, even in looking at it, we're like, well, I, I don't want to redo this. I want it to be good. I want it to last. We're going to be here for decades. You know, we're going to work at, this is our primary residence. We're going to raise our children here. We don't plan on moving. This is, this is it. We're, we're buying this house and we're, we're, um, we're putting money into it to use. Uh, and so the, yeah, it, it drives my decisions. It also drives my decisions around things, 
and it, it seems odd to talk about money in this sense, but it drives my decisions around kind of what I put into my body and how I treat myself and my health and thinking more into the future. It, it changes a lot of behaviors when the money is different. The incentives just change the way you think, I suppose. I, t- I totally agree. Um, ben, I've, I've taken too much of your time already. This has been really wonderful. Thank you. I think yeah. for our audience, you've done such a great articulate job here. I mean, I really do you appreciate mind if it. I, do you mind if I tag one thing that I, I was going to get to, but I totally forgot? Do you mind if I add something? No, no, go ahead. Yeah, of course. So, so sorry, I'm kind of jumping back to a previous point. I just want to tie something in that we're talking about all together because we got into the idea of transactions per second. We were talking about um, the energy stuff where we're talking about uh, replacing central bank settlement. And then we're talking about adding lightning on top as like a way of seamless instant transactions to tie that back to some of the FUD and the, the fear, uncertainty and doubt and, and the uncertainty around, um, you know, Elon Musk tweeting and, and some of the misnomers there. So lightning takes that seven transactions per second on the base layer of Bitcoin. And suddenly each transaction on Bitcoin can represent millions of transactions. Because if you think of that back and forth on the Lightning Network and that routing of payments through individuals and that network, that just pool of liquidity sitting on top of Bitcoin that is locked up in this easy transactional layer, many channels are left open for years. And they're only closed out if, if really needed, if you need to rebalance things or if they're not being utilized enough. Or, so or if so you forth. need access to that Bitcoin yourself yeah. personally to do something. Exactly, exactly. And so what we're likely to see is that every transaction on the base layer of Bitcoin is quite literally millions of transactions, if not more, being settled. And so what, what's the transactional throughput of that? It's whatever your bandwidth is. It does, it's basically unlimited. It's like the speed of light. How many transactions can you get back and forth between two parties in a single second? Millions, millions of transactions per second. That's so, so when you see altcoins coming along saying we have more transactions per second than Bitcoin, do you? You don't. You don't. Um, and then to tie it back into the energy FUD, a lot of the energy uh, criticism of Bitcoin is they'll say, well, you know, each Bitcoin transaction represents this carbon footprint that couldn't be further from the truth. Because number one, the amount of energy spent on, ex- expended on the network has nothing to do with the amount of transactions. They're not tied in any way, shape, or form. You could have a block with a single transaction, or you could have a block with a couple thousand transactions in it. And furthermore, when you get to the point where a single transaction actually represents millions, your entire argument that Bitcoin transactions are inefficient is entirely invalidated. So when you hear stuff like this, people do not understand what they are talking about. And I'm including Elon Musk in that group. I love it. 
Ben, thank you, man. I appreciate it. I, I appreciate it. I, I have more to ask you about. So far, <laughs> I, su- I have successfully asked you zero of my Lightning Network questions <laughs> that I fully intended to talk to you about. So uh, we'll have to do this again and I'll bug you again about this. I feel like Lightning specifically that I'm watching a neural network be built out. Like that's the way I'm visualizing. It's like this neural network of transactions that are all going around the globe. And we are all individually participating in the building of this. Mm-hmm. Like, I, 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 I don't know how I, I just, I get a uh, Nick says, Tom, you get too crazy. You get too crazy. But I just feel that it's exciting because we're witnessing the birth of an entirely new monetary network. It's kind of yeah. like, I think it's, is it Ross Stevens or Russ, Ross Stevens? That Ross Stevens. Big, yeah. Ross. Yeah. I think, he, I think it's, I heard him say, that everyone, or right now we're in stage one where people think the value of Bitcoin is the value of the asset. Mm-hmm. But in stage two, the value of Bitcoin will be the value of the network. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more. It's the network that's being built out that is going to be the most powerful thing, just as you've described. The final stage is the value of Bitcoin is the value of everything in our economy because it becomes the base layer of everything right? It becomes the base layer for value. So you think everything divided by 21 million, there's your answer. We'll leave it right there. Ben, how do people <laughs> find you on YouTube, Twitter? Can you share the, your videos are incredible. Anyone listening to this that wants to understand how to set up a blue wallet, their own node, different types of nodes you have videos on, you know, setting up your own lightning node, setting up lightning channels. That's the one of your later videos that you've just mm-hmm. released, which is a, a masterpiece. I'm about three quarters of the way through it. I'm going to have to go back because I want to set everything up and I'm just watching now and digesting. It is a lot. It's not complex, by the way, anyone listening to this. It's just a lot of new information. Yeah. So uh, I love the way you outline it. You do such a great job. Where can we find you? Yeah. So uh, really easy to find on YouTube. Just search BTC Sessions. Uh, same thing on Twitter, just at BTC Sessions. Uh, I do have a website, though most of what you're going to find is going to be YouTube and Twitter, but uh, BTC Sessions.ca. I'd say those are probably the best places. I do. Um, I do one-on-ones. I think I did shut them down for a while because I got busy. I think I'm going to open them up again after I get back from the Miami Bitcoin conference. Um, because you're, I'll venturing, a- you're venturing out of Canada, Ben. You're I, crazy. You're crazy. I, Sorry, I'm joking. I, I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. So one-on-ones <laughs> for what? Consult, like to explain the technology? Help yeah. People yeah. So up? like if, if you need some handholding, like if, if, if you're like, okay, I need to figure out how to how to buy Bitcoin and get it in my own personal wallet, how to back up a wallet, how to use hardware for security. I have questions about lightning. I have questions about a node. Basically, if you go through my free tutorials and you're like, I, I see it, but I need to be ask, actively asking questions as I'm doing it, I, I'm there for that. So those are not current, like I don't have it set up to, to book right now. But I think I'll open that up when I get back from Miami, which will be around the 8th of June. Uh, so yeah, just just head there and, and cool. uh, awesome. be on the website. I think there's a great need for that because I, I think for someone like myself, I have a bit of an IT background many moons ago and I can kind of get through it. But I feel like a lot of people want to and they need that. So that's great. That And I'm sure you through your Twitter handle on your YouTube channel, you'll find different links to do that or book yeah. you or reach out to you for that when that's available. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, awesome. Ben, thank you. So anything else? 
We're good. I think I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, uh, awesome. You know, we covered a lot of ground. We went, we went from the FUD to yeah. Lightning Network, so we covered a lot of yeah. ground. There. I totally appreciate it. I think I think my main takeaway for people will be, if you're if you're already dabbling in Bitcoin, you've already started using wallets and things like that, and you're a little bit uh, tentative or uh, you know a, a little standoffish about running a node, don't be. It's it's a lot of fun. You're gonna feel very empowered doing it. It's a minimal expense, like you said, 200 bucks worth of parts probably. And uh, as soon as you spin it up, like just go watch the the video, you spin it up and you're like, oh, cool. It's like, it's like a new toy to play with. When you see the and transactions you... coming in. Oh, geez. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a new toy, except for that toy makes you a central bank. Yeah, love it, love it. Thank you, Ben, thank you. No problem. Hey everyone, so hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Ben. You can find anything and everything about Ben by just putting in YouTube the words BTC and then Sessions. So BTC Sessions, check him out, subscribe to his YouTube channel. There is a bunch of stuff that's going to develop in this space over the next 24 months. We're going to be sharing it all with you. Appreciate Ben for coming on here. You can find him on Twitter, also at BTC Sessions. Um, He's got a lot to say on Twitter. He's always hosting new things on his YouTube channel. That's it for this episode. If you're listening to this and you want more education around the real estate market, specifically in the greater Toronto area and the Golden Horseshoe, you can visit our website at rockstarinnercircle.com. You can read case studies about investors that we've worked with, some of their feedback about Rockstar. It's all there for you at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.